listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, and guitar science. Oh, and guitar opinions. Don't forget that. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions, and Eric will try to answer them. We have a lot of emails. Oh, we have calls, too. Well, one call. We have one call. Sweet. We have questions about rich light and other synthetic materials, artificially manufactured whatnots. Uh Uh-huh. Questions about crack repairs, bad strings, uh, questions about... About what else? What's going on here? Wet sanding, painting, uh, oils. Oh my goodness! All sorts. Of, you know, we asked for questions, and oh boy, did you guys answer? Yeah, people really, uh, people really delivered. Yeah. So thank you for that. Plus, it's been a month since we've done a question and answer episode. Yeah. Did you listen to the Henry Cooper interview? I, I did. It was awesome. I know that you're not really. Uh, well, how do I say this? Uh, you're not really that big into guitars. I mean, you, you co-host a guitar podcast, right. so you're kind of right. into it. But did you find it interesting? I did. I did, yeah. I thought it was cool. What did you What did you think about it? What, what, did, what did you like about it? I liked the Screamin' Jay Hawkins anecdotes. Yeah. And uh, uh, the reason I ask, I, I had some, some people, uh, well, a fellow I know said, you know, did you hear the part about how if Henry convinced me not to use pedals anymore. Right. And I had a few people like, what's wrong with pedals, man? Hey, don't dog on pedals. And, you know, I just want to let everybody know, I got nothing against pedals. You use, you should use all the pedals you want. It's not, it's, has not, it doesn't have anything to do with me and my opinions. Right. You know, I just personally don't use them because it was such a, a revelation to me when I stopped using them that the dynamic range between your electric guitar and your amplifier was improved, and I felt like I could do more. I don't know. That's just me. But I play very simple guitar. I'm I'm a simple man. I have <laughs> simple needs. No, I I play I play simple music. I mean, I really do. I'm 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 a blues player. I don't use a bunch of effects anyway. So right. Um, you know, for certain genres of music. You gotta have pedals, right? So don't take all of that the wrong way. Pedals are great. 
I, I got nothing against pedals. It just depends on what you're into, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, what your playing style is, where etc., etc. Right. Anyhow, that Henry Cooper, epi- if you didn't listen to the last episode, go listen to that, because I tell you what, that guy, he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to getting a good tone. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I like and, Henry. Yeah, absolutely. Anyhow... What have I been work- what have I been working on lately? Yeah, what's on your bench? I just finished a little mini restoration on a on a Supro acoustic guitar, which was a lot of fun. You don't see many of those. I don't think Supro made a whole lot of acoustic guitars. Certainly not uh, the output that, you know, Harmony and K had. Supro made a lot of guitars, but not acoustic guitars. And this was called a Supro Country and Western. Uh-huh. Really a cool guitar. Cool. Yeah. Really neat. Interesting guitar. It had a bolt-on neck. Uh, So, you know, it needed a neck reset, so that was easy. You take off the screws and you make a shim and you you bolt it back on. So, uh, but really, that was fun because I had never seen one before. Out of the thousands of guitars that I've worked on and seen, I'd never seen that before, and that's cool. That's always fun to see something new. You'd never seen an acoustic Supro? That, or that particular <clears throat> style. That particular model, which uh-huh. is called the Country and Western. And this guy that I worked on it for said he saw one once, and he's been looking and looking and looking and looking for one because he loved it so much. Mm-hmm. And finally, one showed up on some auction site somewhere. So he's after looking for years, he's seen two of them. Wow. Yeah. So apparently kind of a rare model. Cool. I should have taken a picture of it while it was in the shop. Neat guitar. Very cool. Uh, I just finished overhauling a Silvertone branded Dan Electro solid body bass. That was kind of fun. Cool. Yeah. It had some weird problems. It had a a cellulose nitrate pickguard, a Uh beautiful tortoise shell pickguard. And uh, what had happened is that the pickguard really shrunk up. Right. And the pickups were sitting really low. And so the pickup holes shrunk so much that the pickups didn't fit through them anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah, because that lipstick tube pickup is cylindrical. Right. So it's it's not um, like a Strat pickup where it's straight up and down on the sides. Right. It has round sides. So I needed to raise the pickups and I start turning the screw and I'm like, why, why isn't, why won't this pickup raise? I don't understand. <laughs> I could not understand. Why won't this pickup pass through this hole? I don't understand what's going on until I finally took it out and looked at it. And I'm like, oh, the, the hole shrunk so much that the pickup doesn't even fit through it anymore. Wow. Yeah. So what did you have to do? So I took out a Dremel and just <gasps> enlarged it just a little bit. Oh, man. that's That well, makes was, my palms sweat. It was no big deal. Yeah. Although it gives off these little puffs of n- nitrate smoke that's probably <laughs> probably not good for you. Yeah. I mean... Well, is anything good for you, well, really? Well, bacon is. Yeah. Anyhow, that was kind of an interesting deal. Oh, and it doesn't have a truss rod, this base, but the neck was all warped. Hmm. So I had to press the neck cool. three times. Wow. Sometimes that's, Sometimes one that's the magic number. Enough. Yeah. So I had to press the neck three times to get it to behave. Well, that was a lot of fun. That's a fun... I love those old quirky like supro and dan electro yeah yeah cool good stuff um keep give us an update on that uh esquire that 50s esquire that you were you've been restoring 
uh, I haven't done much because it's so dry that I'm trying to rehumidify it. I've got it um, hanging above my uh, humidifier to try to get some of the cracks closed up a little bit more before I move forward on it. Huh. Uh, yeah. And it's working. <clears throat> the cracks are closing up a little bit. And when I got it, the frets were sticking out of the edge like like a sixteenth of an inch. Wow. I mean, the, the frets were so jagged on the edge because the, the neck has just shrunk like crazy. Yeah. It's like an old cow skull that sat out in the sun. I mean, this right. thing is just bone dry. I'm trying to rehumidify it before I before I do anything to it because I it's just so dry that it's not yeah hmm. so that's where I am with it. I, hopefully, I'll start working on that soon. Cool. Yeah, that's going to be a fun project. Uh, I I just sent out a custom guitar to a customer that he twisted my arm just a little bit and talked me into making. It's a a Strat style. Cootercaster. Do you know who Ry Cooter is? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it before. Yeah, Ry Cooter is a yeah famous guitar player who famously has this Stratocaster that has a Supro lap steel pickup in the bridge and a Tysco gold foil pickup in the neck position. So I just made one of those. That was kind of fun. That's on my Instagram feed if you want to check that out. And what's your handle? I don't know. At Eric Daw Custom Guitars. That's that's the one. Uh, let's take a question, shall we? Did we have any other business? I don't think so. That's, that's all we're doing here. Oh, let's, yeah. Okay. We're going to take a call? Yeah. Ring, ring. Hey, Melissa and Eric. This is Andrew from Northern California. Hey, um, I'm an acoustic guitar builder. Um, I've got a handful of guitars under my belt. And uh, was looking at building with rich life. I uh, wondered if you had... Had an opportunity to get your hands on fretboards or veneers or uh, even rich planks or uh, made out of rich light. I know it's a post consumer product, it's a recycled paper product made in the US uh, and it's evenly black. I know Martin's used it before and gives something like rich light. There's another one called, oh, there's another one, I can't think of the name. Uh, anyway, I wondered if you had an opinion on that. Uh, and I love the show. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you for calling. Uh, Rich Light. Yeah. You know, they have a website. It's rich, richlight.com. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it says, is Rich Light really paper? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, it, yeah, it's post-consumer. It's, it says, I'm, and, I'm, and I quote, I'm reading from their website now. Rich Light is an incredibly durable, extremely versatile, and highly sustainable material made from resin-infused paper. Originally developed over 70 years ago for industrial tooling and pattern making, Rich Light has expanded into a premium surface material used in the aerospace, marine, action sports, culinary, architecture, and design industries, and in machine shops and automotive manufacturing. What they don't mention here is guitars. But yes, it does show up on all kinds of guitars as a fingerboard and a bridge on acoustic guitars. Martin specifically uses it. Uh, I think that uh, what, the, yeah, there's Rich Light. There's a, there's a whole bunch of artificially manufactured products like uh, HPL, which is high pressure laminate, <clears throat> kind of similar, kind of a similar thing. Uh, Micarta is kind of a similar thing. Formica, I don't know. It's all, 
It's all uh, manufactured stuff. And it's basically, uh, with in the case of Rich Light, it is uh, resin-infused paper. You know? Yeah. So, at one time it was wood, or right. partially wood. Well, yeah. I mean... Yeah. It's just wood pulp all glued together, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, what's my opinion on it? Well... You know me, I'm I'm kind of an old school fella. I suppose going forward as we gobble up all of our precious tone woods that things like rich light are going to be necessary. But uh I don't really I don't really care for it to be honest with you. It's okay. It's 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 fine. It's it's an acceptable substitute. But I don't think it has any place on a really, really high-end guitar. Okay. That's that's my personal opinion. But, you know, I'm so old school that I don't even, I don't even like tusk nuts or, uh, you know, all the, all the fancy plastics that they, that they make for nut and saddle materials. I just use bone. I like bone and I like wood. That's me. Me too. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, you know, rich light. Yeah, it's great. But, um, you know, and, and it, it has some advantages over wood where, uh, it won't, it shouldn't crack like wood. It doesn't have a grain. It doesn't, you know, but, and it looks nice. It does. It, it looks, uh, almost just exactly like ebony, you know, but, uh, yeah. So it's good. And, uh. I like it, but if I were making acoustic guitars, I probably wouldn't use it just because I'm an old school dude. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shall we take some letters here? Let's do so, it. Some emails. Oh yeah. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks <clears throat> of letters. Eric and Melissa, thanks for the great show. I really like to listen and I wish it was every week. My question is on wet sanding guitars. I recently painted mine, and when I wet sanded, everywhere there was a hole in the guitar, pickup routes, string holes, neck holes, etc. The water got in and cracked the lacquer. This was quite disappointing, as I'm sure you can imagine. Do you use water to wet sand? I have read some use mineral oil, and now I understand why. (coughs) Tyler. Mm, Yeah, Tyler. No, that's happened to me before, sure. What really sucks is... is, uh Water will, you know, if if you're wet sanding like a headstock, water can get into the tuner holes and then kind of swell the wood and uh, just make it look like garbage. So, yeah, no, I hear you. I do use water to wet sand uh, just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, and I make sure that uh, there's no... Uh, there's no holes drilled in the body. So, um, any, you know, I've, I've sprayed a guitar and, uh, like if, when you spray a headstock, then you'll usually, you have to ream out the tuner holes a little bit more to fit the ferrules. So right. I just make sure I do my wet sanding before I do any drilling or before I do any, uh, modifications because there's overspray in the hole. And if you just use a tiny bit of water, then you're probably okay. Uh, the other thing, sometimes I use naphtha. Mm-hmm. 
uh, for wet sanding. Huh. I've, I've never used mineral oil, but I've heard people do that. So, yeah, no, I hear you. That's that's a problem. Do you? I mean, how do you get the water? Do you put water on the the sandpaper? Do you soak mm-hmm. the sandpaper? Yeah, and a trick I learned from Dan Erlewine years ago is if you uh, that <clears throat> that wet dry sandpaper, if you soak it. Uh-huh. in water for a long time mm-hmm. it kind of reaches this saturation point where it will stay wet without really being super wet interesting yeah so you just soak your sandpaper for like an hour and then you wet sand well ideally soak it overnight oh wow yeah if you're going to do some wet sanding in the morning put your uh put whatever paper you're going to use in uh, water and uh <coughs> it really helps and it keeps the sandpaper from clogging up as much. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Hi, Eric and Melissa. <clears throat> Great show. I'm a big fan of circuit boards and guitars, zero frets, all flavors oh, of ice you. cream. All this fla- guy. <laughs> all flavors of ice cream and condiment cup repairs. Oh, that's your deal. Oh, that's deal. me. Yeah. Uh, how hard is it to refret a phenol- phenolic? Yeah, phenolic. Phenolic fingerboard. He's talking about rich light again. Oh. Is it pretty much the same as refretting an ebony fingerboard? Cheers, Mitch from Parkland County, Alberta. Thank you, Mitch. It is it's 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 pretty much the same. It will chip like ebony does. Uh, you know, same process. I I put just a little bit of water on the fret and then use a uh, soldering iron to heat it up. So, yeah, same process and it really does behave a lot like wood. Um, because it is, it's paper, wood, it's wood fibers with resin, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it will chip like ebony and, uh, it is, it does behave very much like ebony. It does chip. Uh, you probably want to make sure that the, that the, uh, tang isn't too big for the slot, you know, just like you would with any other material. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Cool. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast. I've been doing some guitar work for friends, etc. for a couple years now, and your podcast always seems to answer some random question that I wondered about at one time or another. So what's your opinion about lemon oil on rosewood fingerboards and or guitar bodies? I've read that lemon oil can build up and fill the pores of the wood in a bad way. I don't want to be one of those people who quote online forums without having any real evidence or experience, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to check out my page on Facebook and Instagram, at Guitars by Jake. Much love from Sydney, Australia. All your other Aussie listeners are c- listener comments are hilarious. <laughs> Come teach a wor- workshop down under. Would love to learn from you. Hashtag working holiday. Or... As we sta- say stateside, uh, vacation. Well. Yeah. Uh, I love your entire old school mentality. No smartphone, your old school Fender style builds. Anyway, thanks, cool. Jake. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, it's true. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a smartphone. What an ironically named device that is. Yeah. Smart Smartphone? Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Lemon oil. I... <clears throat> I've heard the same thing that it that it fills the pores somehow. Well, I don't know what that means. I don't understand. Isn't that what we're trying to do? 
isn't that what we're trying to do by oiling the fingerboard is by putting some uh moisture in it basically right because it has pores and we're trying to fill those pores with an oil so that so that it doesn't dry out and crack so i don't i don't know i don't get it i don't understand i used to use straight lemon oil i don't really like the way it's it's it smells it's really pretty strong uh-huh. so i quit using it and now i just use a product by Gerlitz called guitar honey Mm-hmm. Yeah, G-E-R-L-I-T-Z. Guitar Honey probably has lemon oil in it, but it's not as strong. Uh, I don't know what's in it, really. It's a blend of oils, but I don't know. I've Some oils you don't really want to use, like um, boiled linseed oil, because um, it actually hardens like a finish. Does. Oh, really? Yeah, so that I can understand, you know, probably don't want to use that. I've used it before. I don't know. If you just use a tiny, just a thin amount of it, it's probably fine. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, I've I've switched to products that are specifically made for fingerboards. But not for this reason. Not really for this reason. Just, uh, well, I guess so. I'm just trying to play it safe and use, you know, use a good product. Yeah. The, <clears throat> the problem is, let's say a customer brings in a guitar and I'm using straight lemon oil, and I oil it, looks great. And then the customer picks it up, and then, see you later. Right. I don't know. Unless the unless it's a repeat customer, or I see the guitar again, or, you know, I don't... It, it, that's the, one of the challenges of repair is that you don't get to monitor this guitar and see what you've done to it and how that works out in the long term. You don't always get to do that. Right. So that can be tricky. Anyhow... That's why I that's why I choose to use a, a a product specifically for fingerboards. Cool. Thanks, Jake. Thank you, Jake. Do you keep records of the guitar builds and repairs? <clears throat> Information such as names, dates, serial numbers, and other specific details, along with photographs? If not, consider doing so. Years from now, it will be of great interest to yourself and your family. I suggest that customers do the same. Document what was done to your instrument. Who, what, when, and why. That's from Crash. Right on. My man Crash. Man, Crash sent me a, a harmonica microphone. Cra- oh, yeah? Crash is a, is a harp player. Right. And uh, I sent him one of my attenuator boxes, and he sent me a great harp microphone. I've been loving it. Thank you, Crash. I love that mic. It's great. Uh, I do keep records. Um, on on builds, I have a spreadsheet where I enter the date and the color and like the neck profile and you know a couple details about yeah. it. Uh, nothing too specific, and I don't I don't take pictures of every single guitar that I build, but a, a lot of them have pictures. Also, I do keep record on repairs because I I have the invoice. Right. And the invoice documents <clears throat> what was done, uh, how much it cost, the guitar, the serial number. And uh, I almost never take a picture of a repair unless it's a unless it's really a cool guitar that, that I, I want to take a picture of and, right. and post it on the internet or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah, g- good advice, Crash. I didn't, I didn't used to do that. You know, when I worked at Emerald City Guitars in Seattle... Um, 
it would get documented on an invoice, but then I didn't have access to the invoices. They'd go in some vault somewhere. I don't even know. Right. You know, I don't, I didn't run that business, so I didn't have access to the records. So I did keep a clipboard that I wrote down the customer's name and the guitar and, but it was just tedious because it was like, I've already done this and writing, writing it out longhand is, is never fun. Right. And I don't even, I didn't always remember to do that, you know, right. so it wasn't a very good system, but now I, uh, pretty easily can do it. And I, you know what, you know what I use for my invoicing? Well, you know, I know I use PayPal and I got to tell you, I was skeptical at first and they do take a pretty healthy slice of money. I don't remember how much it is, but it's, I, I think it's comparable to what any credit card company takes takes right but uh where was i going with this Invoicing. their invoice system is awesome yeah it's pretty it's a pretty powerful tool it it catalogs all your invoices they're searchable um you can uh send somebody an email w- with the invoice and then they can either pay it online or bring you a check or bring you cash it's really easy and then i can print out the invoice uh, you can put your custom logo on the invoice. It's pretty sweet. We just got done talking about how old school I am, but uh, I guess that's PayPal is so new school. It, you would well, not it is believe to me. How, I don't know. how new PayPal is. Well, they have a whole invoice system for a, for if you're a business. They have a they have a whole invoicing system, and it's almost like it's not it's not QuickBooks, but it's almost like yeah QuickBooks or something because it's. Well, and it's like a bank account, too. They hold your money until you need it, which is cool. Um, The other thing that Crash said is uh, customers should log what, you know, what work they have done on their guitars. And that's a lot like having a car, you know. Yeah, keep the records of what was done to that thing, especially if it's a valuable guitar. Because when you go to sell it or when you pass it down to your kids, they're going to want to know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff, Crash. Thank you. Hey, Eric and Melissa. A couple podcasts ago, you were talking about crack repairs on acoustics. I am restoring an old Gibson LG Ot LG Zero. It's LGO. LGO that I bought as a repair project, and it needs a lot of repairs. It appears to have fallen on the headstock, cracking the headstock and heel. Ouch! Loosening the neck block and cracking along the top edges of the fingerboard right through to the sound hole. Oh, I hate that. It also has a couple other top cracks. I'll probably be emailing more questions in the near future as I progress through these repairs, but I'll start with the top cracks. Can you explain in more detail how you glue cracks and reinforce them? My plan is to use hot high glue, but how do you work it into the cracks and get it clamped before the glue gels? How big are the cleats you install for reinforcement? How many cleats should be used? And what is your favorite method for installing the cleats? Magnets seem like the best method to me, but what do I know? Thanks again for the great podcast and look forward to hearing your recommendations. Phil from Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks, Phil. <clears throat> was that a lot of questions? I think I feel like yeah. it was. Uh, uh, the top cracks. Yes. How I glue cracks. I do use hot hide glue. Um, and I, I use it thinned down a little bit with water a little bit more than I would for most other repairs. Uh, and the way you work it in, what I like to do is, um, 
I'll put just a little bit of water along the crack and, and work that into the crack and then let the guitar sit for a while so that that, that, that wood is kind of a little bit prepped with water. <clears throat> and after a while, uh, I will heat up the guitar uh, just very slightly. I'll heat it up with a, uh, just with a hairdryer along the crack so that the wood isn't room temperature, you know. Any, any little bit helps when you're working with hide glue, with hot hide glue. Mm-hmm. So I'll heat up the surface. And uh, it does help to get, you know, even to get the room you're working in hot, hotter than normal. So like if it's a real hot summer day, that's great. But um, yeah, a little bit thinned down on the, on the hot hide glue. And then I will just paint it onto the crack with a paintbrush and then work it in with my finger. And when you take your finger back and forth across a crack, pneumatic pressure forces the glue into the crack. And you will actually see it if you put a mirror in the guitar coming out the other side. Wow. Yeah. So then... But you have to work fast because you're working with hot hide glue. You, you really have to work very fast. So how do you clamp a, a crack like that? With magnets. So one on the inside of the guitar, one on the top of the guitar. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a very slick, if you want to spend some money, a very slick system is uh, sold by T.J. Thompson, uh, either on his website or you can go to Stuart McDonald's website and buy it there. But it's the clamp, the crack calling and clamping system with uh, uh, calls and... It also comes with, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Cleats. It comes with cleat material. Uh-huh. Yeah. But what he uses is these long strips for cleats. A very, oh. very, very lightweight wood. The traditional way to do it is just to make a little square or rectangle or a diamond-shaped wood cleat. Right. And that goes uh, perpendicular to the to the crack, right? What do you mean perpendicular? It goes on the inside of the guitar along the crack. And then the grain of the wood of the cleat, the grain is running opposite of the grain of your guitar grain. Right. Uh, But the long strip that you just told me about, that goes Mm -hmm. along the crack the whole whole length? Yeah. Interesting. On TJ Thompson's system. He says that he stopped using cleats and that he just uses a very thin little, kind of like the thin strip that they put along... A back seam. Interesting. Yeah. That it, but the grain would be going the same way, so it would be likely to crack open again, right? No, the grain is running the opposite direction. Oh, huh. Interesting. Uh, well, that is, it, Phil also asked how many cleats. What is your favorite method for installing cleats? Magnets. How yeah. big are your cleats? Oh gosh, I don't know. They're just. I usually make little diamonds. And they're maybe maybe an inch long. Oh, okay. They're just little. Yeah. Does it depend on the size of the crack, or do you? <coughs> it does. I mean, it depend. It does. It depends on how many braces are crossing the crack. Mm-hmm. It depends. You know. It, 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 yeah. It depends on how big the crack is. But even if. You're putting a cleat way down inside a, a guitar that nobody will probably ever see. It, you got to make it look good. 
Yeah. You got to make it look pretty. So you put it on with hot hide glue mm-hmm. and you use magnets to clamp it in place. Mm-hmm. How do you get it to where you want it? Like say it's way down by the end block. Mm-hmm. How do you get it down there and know where you're putting it? I roll up my sleeves like this <laughs> and I grease my arm. You don't grease your arm. No, I don't. I have, I do have luthier arm. I do have very skinny forearms <laughs> that fit in the sound hole. Lucky me. Yeah. Can you imagine if I had a big turkey leg yeah, forearm? like Popeye. And it wouldn't fit in the It'd sound be hole? a big problem. It's a career killer. But what I'm saying is once your hand's in there, you cannot look in the sound hole. That is correct. So how do you know that you're on the crack, that you're doing it where you need to be doing it? Well, <clears throat> with magnets, they'll tell you what's going oh, on. Oh, that's smart. The other thing that I like to do is I'll put a piece of masking tape on either side of the crack on the inside of the guitar mm-hmm. as kind of a guide. So you can feel so it? I can feel it. I know what's going on. Hmm. Okay, cool. And experience, you know, I mean, I've done this enough times that I just kind of do it without thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. How, what else did he say? How many cleats should be used? It depends on, yeah, it depends on how long the crack is, you know? Um, do you have a magic al- algorithm? Like, no. One per. Three inches or something? No, I don't really, I don't really think about that. It depends on how, I just want it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I really assess stuff like that is I'll know when my comfort level reaches (laughs) normal. If you're nervous about it, you add another cleat. Yeah, if I'm going, eh, this is probably, eh, I don't know if that's enough cleats. (laughs) You know, because it really depends on where the crack is. Right. And what's going on inside the guitar there. Um, you know, so, yeah, it just depends. It just depends. Hmm. Great questions, man. Thank you, Phil. <clears throat> Hi, Eric and Melissa. I, reach- I recently purchased a used Tele reissue and plan to turn it into a replica of the guitar my dad played when he was a teenager in the 1950s. That's awesome. The reissue is really close already, but I want to paint the body and modify the headstock decals to more closely match his original guitar. Question one. The finish on my Tele reissue is gloss poly on the neck and body. I understand I need to choose a finish that is compatible with the poly. Can you explain the science behind finish compatibility and suggest an appropriate finish for my guitar? Question two. My Tele reissue has the serial number and other decals on the back of the headstock that I would like to remove. Are there ethical or practical reasons why I shouldn't do this? I I would be fine with engraving the serial number on the bridge plate or the neck plate, but the decal just screams modern guitar to me and seems inappropriate for a reissue. Question three. What is the best method for removing decals from the headstock? I am thinking solvent rather than sanding. Once removed, what's the best way to restore the finish? I'm thinking spray poly, but I've seen people do all sorts of things like true oil or nitro clear coat. What do you think? Thank you for all the time you put into making this podcast. Stan, Texas guy. Yeah, this is uh, Stan. Stan. Stan sent me a 1950 Esquire. Oh, this is the yeah. the barn guy. Yeah. This is him. Well, he's not a barn guy. Lucky duck. 
Well, he found it in a barn. Uh, Stan, I... This, these are tough questions. Honestly, they are, because you're going about this a little bit differently than than I would have gone about it if it were me. Okay. He's What he's trying to do is make a replica of that barn find oh, Esquire. He's restoring... He gave you the Esquire. I'm, to... Yeah, I'm going to restore it as close to factory specs as I can. I see. But he wants a guitar that looks like the one he found in the barn. I see. With... Most of the paint missing, and yeah. Uh, so, a poly Tele reissue is is really not where I would have started if it oh. were me. I I think the I think the better option would be uh, to buy an unpainted neck and body. Oh wow! And do a whole build. Well. I mean, whole build, yeah, I, I guess, but I mean, it's already, it would be a neck that's already fretted and shaped. Right. And a body that's already cut and, and sanded and ready for paint. But that guitar, he's, that he wants to, he wants to make it look like this guitar was basically painted with like the house paint. Right. On the body. That's easy enough. Just latex paint? Yeah. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> Um, it will almost look right, the neck will almost look right, right out of the box, because the, when he found that guitar, it had no finish on it. Yeah, but he doesn't want it how it looks when you found it. He wants it how it looked when his dad played it in the 50s. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you're right about that. Um, here's the problem. Uh, I, I, if, if you, if you asked me to do this, Eric, will you overspray my poly neck or will you remove these decals from my poly neck the answer is no because that stuff is really a pain in the neck to work with Mm. and every poly fender i've seen the decals under the poly right you can't take it off without taking off the paint is it it's right on the wood or there's i mean it's deep under there yeah yeah uh with a with an old fender or with like a custom shop you know, replica, the decal really sits right on the surface. Right. And they're pretty easy to take off, actually. But I ass- what I assume you've got, if it's if it's poly-finished, uh, then that that decal's probably under the finish. So I don't, I don't know. This is, these are hard questions because I, I don't, th- this is not the path that I would recommend uh, because of some of the issues you bring up, like trying to remove the, uh, headstock uh decal or the uh the serial number from the back of the headstock is that stamped in or is it a decal it's a decal and it's under the finish Mm. and it's 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 basically impossible to remove unless you take off all the finish and once you do that why didn't you just start with an unfinished neck right that's what i'm saying plus uh if 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 you're gonna have to spray finish on it anyway start with raw wood Right. Plus, you can spray it with the right paint. And then it doesn't matter about compatibility. Nitro lacquer, right. And then it doesn't matter with compatibility. So that's where I'm at with it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Give me a call, Stan, if you're you're curious, if you want to talk about it more. Sorry, Stan. Thank you. 
Hey, Eric, I have an Epiphone ES339 and the bridge pickup tone pot has stopped working. It just stays on 10. Can I can cleaning fix that or does it need to be replaced? Second, both volume controls are push-pull coil split pots, and like coil split pots do, they get extremely intermittent intermittent after a period of use. Can that be fixed by cleaning or do they need to be replaced? If replaced, can you recommend some heavy-duty push-pull coil split pots? Say that five times fast. Also, what's the best method for replacing them on an ES-339? Thanks, man. Keith. She sells seashells <laughs> by the seashore. Yeah. <laughs> Unique New York. Right. Uh, that was a tongue twister. Keith, thank you very much for submitting a question. Those ES-339s are cute. It's a mini 335. Have you seen those? I don't know what those numbers Do you know what a 335 is? Nope. My wife is... So cute. Shut up. You are. (laughs) Uh, Your tone pot stopped working. Well, cleaning the pot might fix that, but it might not. Uh, You also might have a capacitor problem because that's what makes a tone pot work. So maybe the capacitor went bad or possibly you have a cold solder or possibly the, the capacitor came disconnected from your tone pot could be a number of things you kind of it the problem with this guitar is there's no back panel you can't just open up a panel and look in there and see what's going on so it's a hollow body what is it an arch top? yeah it's it's a thin arch top okay you know like the kind of guitar chuck berry plays or bb king <laughs> yes it's shaped like that you know okay. what i'm talking about yep, yep. there's two f holes yep there's no back panel. Yep. You can't get in there. Yep. You could stick a mirror in there and see if a capacitor is dangling by one leg. Mm-hmm. That would tell you, you know. Uh, anyhow, the way to fix this is you have to take the bridge pickup out and then pull all of the electronics out. All the pots, the jack, the you, switch. You can't do it through the F-holes? Not really. Mm. Not really. That all needs to come out of the guitar, and then you work on it, and then you put it all back in. Giant pain in the neck. That sucks. It really does. And have you ever played Operation, where you you have the little tweezers, and you try to pull the little plastic part out of the yeah. the board game, and I'm, if you touch the sides, it goes... Yep, I'm terrible at that. Well, this is like that, except way worse. Well, because it doesn't yell at you when you get it wrong. No, but... <laughs> So, <clears throat> when, you, when you get the pots back in the guitar, now you have to get them up through the holes and reinstall them into the guitar. So, right. you're working with little tools, and you've got string, and you're trying to pull things back in. Uh, it's not fun to do. It's not easy. I use, I use string to guide parts back through the hole. So, you tie a string to the tone pot through the tone hole. The, mm-hmm. ho- the hole for the tone pot. Yep. And then you pull it back through. That's right. Wow. It's tricky. So it's like a marionette. It's like a, a weird marionette. Yeah, it is it is tricky. So uh, try so, cleaning your pot first. Can you yeah. do that while it's still installed? Yeah. Uh, if you bend the little tube on your pot cleaner and use a mirror, you can usually look in there and see where the uh, where the pot spray, the electronic spray needs to go. Mm-hmm. Psh, psh, Spray it in there, 
turn the knob back and forth a bunch of times and see if that helps. Um, he says that they all that they all have problems. They get extremely intermittent after a period of use. Well, yeah, you might be able to spray those all out and it will it will bring them back to life, but uh, I don't know. Hmm. Did he say can you rec- yeah, can you recommend some heavy duty push pull coil split pots? The best ones I've found are the ones that um all parts sells. I think they're made by CTS. I don't know. Let's let's look it up, shall we? Push pull pots on all parts website here. Uh oh, Emerson has some nice ones. Uh Emerson makes nice ones and uh they have them at all parts EP0286-000 500k double pull double throw push pull audio pot. It does not say who makes them. It's probably either Alpha or CTS. If I had to guess, I don't know. And it looks like there's uh you could get Emerson ones. Those those are, let me see what those look like. Custom Pro CTS. Oh yeah. Sweetwater has some that they're they're CTS. They look nice. They've got a brass shaft. Those are nice. Yeah. Who knows what's in there? It's an Epiphone. So might not be the best. Might not be the best parts in there. I don't know. Uh shall we take a break? Let's do it. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone, from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com.
Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones and Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. Hi, Eric and Melissa. You seem to be running out of questions, so here's another one to keep you going. To all listeners, take a minute or five to type out your question if you enjoy the show. We all know Eric has, a, has an opinion about pretty much anything guitar-related, so don't be shy. Insert smiley face here. Mm -hmm. Here's one for the let's see what Eric thinks category. Truss rods. Vintage correct truss rods are, well, vintage correct, but many people would agree that adjusting your truss rod from the headstock side is e easier than getting to it from the heel side. I'm sure most modern guitars use modern truss rods adjusted from the top because they think they are better. Questions to you. Apart from the single action heel adjusted truss rods being vintage correct, do you see any real advantages to having them? Are modern style truss rods sonically inferior, but more practical? As always, looking forward to your insight and especially opinions. All the best, Axel. Thanks, Axel. I appreciate it, my man. Interesting questions. Yeah, I, I do like heel adjust truss rods. I mean, I suppose we're talking about um, fender style necks here because we're talking about heel adjust versus headstock adjust. Right. Uh yeah, I like heel adjust just because that's that's the vintage way it's done. I don't like the way <clears throat> I don't like the way headstock adjust ones look. Uh and they they really the way they work um it's interesting. A headstock adjust truss rod works from works from the headstock up to about like the I don't know, then like the 19th or 17th fret and uh, a heel adjust truss rod works from the heel to like the second or third fret it's kind of a weird deal if you think about it because they're slightly in different places right anyhow um, I've heard guitar techs before who complain about oh man it's one of these old fenders where you have to take the neck off to adjust the truss rod and it just makes me think why do you work on guitars? <laughs> uh, because that, I don't know, that's like a mechanic saying, oh man, I gotta get in the car to pop the hood. Oh man, I gotta pop the hood to work on this thing. Jeez, give me a break. 
Taking a neck off is no big deal. In fact, here's one thing I really like about heel adjust truss rods. It keeps idiots away from the truss rod. Think about that. That's a <laughs> Now that is a built-in safety device. <laughs> that is a built-in uh, safety mechanism where somebody might go to adjust the truss rod who doesn't know what they're doing, and they're like, oh, man, i got to take the neck off. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm being sarcastic, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely prefer heel adjust. He also asks, uh, are there advantages with modern-style truss rods? Are they sonically inferior but more practical? <clears throat> I don't know. I There are people who will tell you that a neck with no truss rod uh, is sonically superior. Right. <clears throat> so, I guess that's nice, but uh, a bent neck is definitely inferior. <laughs> so, I like having a truss rod. Single action is usually adequate because it's it's pretty rare for a, a neck to get so backbowed that uh, that you need a double that you need a dual adjustment so i don't know and then if if it does if a neck does get a backbow i can heat press it and make it do what i want so i don't i never find myself thinking ah oh, i wish i wish all guitars had dual action truss rods it's fine it's nice i don't think it's sonically inferior but it just it's not on my radar i don't care about it when i when i when I get a guitar on my bench that has one, it's great. I adjust it, whatever. It's great. It's right. fine. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there you go, Axel. <coughs> Good day from sunny Brisbane, Australia. It's probably, is it Brisbane? I'm saying it wrong, I'm sure. Uh, uh, I am one of your legion of followers in the so- southern hemisphere. My God, we have a lot. What is, why are we so popular in Australia? I don't know. It's like a. It's we like have a, at least four listeners it's there. It's an, an entire continent of guitar technicians. Yeah, we should definitely take a, a trip there. Uh, Long time listener, first time question. I love the show and have listened to every episode. When I heard you say in the last episode you are running out of questions, I thought it's time to man up. <laughs> Recently, I acquired a Schecter. Yeah, it's a Schecter. Schecter. ATX that the previous owner had thought to make into a fretless guitar. Oh, good. He ripped all the frets out, I think using his teeth, (laughs) pulling chips out of every fret slot. The ebony fretboard has more chips than a packet of Pringles. Dang. I now have the guitar, and I'm considering whether to refret it or to go forward with the fretless thing. I understand the theory behind filling the chips, ebony dust, CA glue, Teflon dam for the fret slot, but can you describe the correct way to do it? Given the extent of the chipping, could I use something like an ebony grain filler? We have a great product here called Timbermate to fill the chips and fret slots, and then sand, i.e. re-radius the fretboard, cut the slots again, and re-fret. Or should I just go fretless? Although this would probably require filling the chips and the slots with Timbermate or similar. And then re-radiusing, but without cutting the slots or filling new frets. Fitting new frets. I, If I do refret it, I am thinking to use a very wide fret wire like Jesscar 6000. 
uh, or EVO jumbo. What are the advantages and disadvantages of wide frets? Thanks for doing the show and for answering the questions. Now that I have broken the ice by asking my first question, you can expect more in the future. It's nearly that time of year, so Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. All the best to you and the family. Thanks. Cruise in Bris- Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, they say Brisbane, but we call it Brisbane because... We're from Idaho. Thanks, Cruise. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't use the, the grain filler, the wood filler. I wouldn't use the timber mate. I would use uh, the... Cyano cyanoacrylate glue. Super glue. Super glue. And ebony dust. That's what I would use. And uh yeah, the uh, he wants me to describe the exact method of doing it. Well, you know, you put you put ebony dust in the chip and then you and then you put super glue on top of that and it wicks down into the dust and there you go. Once it hardens, when you go to sand your fingerboard, you'll It'll just sand out smooth and and works pretty well. Cool. Wait to oil this fingerboard until you're all done with all of that nonsense. Because if you oil it before, sometimes the super glue doesn't want to stick very mm-hmm. well or it's more prone to coming loose. Yeah. Yeah, there's not really... I'm not a... It doesn't really make me super happy when I have to do that. Because it's the best method that I'm aware of, but I don't, I don't really like it. I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think it's super awesome. (laughs) I, I wish that there were a better way to fix chipped out ebony, but as far as I'm aware, unless if somebody's got a better method than, than ebony dust and super glue, then let me know because I would love to know about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward and self-explanatory. He also asks, what are the advantages and disadvantages of wide frets? Well, um, typically you want a fret to be half as tall as it is wide. So if you're going to put a fret in there that is, uh, you know, 105 thousandths wide, then... uh, then you're going to want like a 50 thousandths or 60, 55 thousandths height, you know. So bigger frets just feel different. Some people like that. Some people don't. It's an ice cream flavor thing. It, yeah. Some people like it. Some people don't. Uh, one of the disadvantages is that when you, if you have really big frets, if you press down, too hard if you if you're prone to pressing down too hard on the string you're going to pull yourself out of tune really easily because as you press down you're raising the pitch going farther than you need to i've seen many many players with that problem they have a guitar with big huge frets and they can't play in tune and there's really nothing i can do with the guitar as it is to fix that problem they think it's like my intonation's off but it's not the intonation it's the fact that you're pressing too hard with big frets so you can mill them down and make them lower but they're still super wide which is kind of weird it makes it so that there's not a nice clean contact point for the string right so yeah big frets are cool and might be a good thing to do if it's really chipped out badly but don't go with the super big maybe that like that Jeskar 6000 is like a 118 thousandths wide. 
It's huge. That's Big Fred Wire, man. I don't know. I mean, if you like Big Freds, go for it. Knock yourself out. Cool. Absolutely. Thanks, Cruz. Thanks, Cruz. Thanks for manning up. Hey, guys. Quick question. I'm putting the back back on an old Gibson acoustic. There are some fractures in the finish from taking the back off. What is the best way to address them? There is a nice amount of crazing and cracking from age, but the ones that I made are a little more significant, so they don't visually blend in to what was already there. By the way, isn't that aged cracking just the most beautiful thing to look at? Yes. This is a mahogany guitar. I got a little too aggressive in a couple spots and cracked the back, trying to pry pry it off the kerfing. Most of my cracks are with the grain, while the old cracks, am I right to call that crazing? Mostly just go across the grain. Mm -hmm. That could be part of why I want to fix my damage. Mm -hmm. There's also a couple spots where the wood didn't crack, but the finish did. So now there's a little bit of air under there, making the finish really stand out. There's probably a great way to address this, too, I'd imagine. Can you help a brother out? Thanks so much. I really love the show. Keep up the good work. You too, Melissa. (laughs) Dean. Thanks, Dean. Uh, Yeah, those spots where the finish came loose and you can see air under the finish, uh, a lot of times you you can wick thin CA glue, super glue, uh, in there, and it will just... It will just zip right down under the finish there mm-hmm. and uh, close that air gap, and it will it will take that milkiness away. So that's that'll fix that. That's kind of a slick trick. Uh, so he cracked the wood, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll have to fix that if the wood's cracked. Glue that back up. <clears throat> Fractures in the finish. Um. I don't know. Depending on the guitar and how bad it is, I'm, I'd be tempted to maybe leave that alone. You know, once you start messing with those on a guitar that's, you know, and you're right to say it's beautiful, the, all the finish checking and the crazing on that, once you start trying to mess with that and sanding it and polishing it, you're, you're just going to change the appearance of it. And uh, if it's not too bad, I'd leave it, honestly. Um, and if what you created is more finish checking, then just leave it. If the wood's cracked, fix that. Yeah. You know, we talked about that earlier in the episode. Yeah. Thanks, Dean. I hope I answered that sufficiently. What yeah. Do you think? Okay. Yeah. Good luck, Dean. Hey there, my name is Matt, and I just stumbled across your podcast this morning. What an awesome resource for guitar repair people of all abilities. Within the past year, I have landed a job in my region's sole professional full-service repair shop the old-fashioned way, hanging out in the shop, asking questions, sweeping floors, and coming in for help as I tried more repairs on my own gear. I'm excited to have found your podcast. Right on. I do have a few questions. What are some recommended reading materials and forums that you would consider essential reading for young luthiers and repair people? Also, Heat Source, do you personally find most effective for removing acoustic necks pressure cooker espresso maker stumac heat stick other thanks matt thank you matt (coughs) uh i yeah the stumac heat stick is kind of a new thing that um i have not tried but i will tell you that i don't think it's a i i kind of don't think it's a super great idea hide glue and old glue that you're trying to take apart in a neck joint, it needs more than just heat. It needs steam. 
it, you know, old hide glue doesn't release just with heat. It, it does need moisture. At least that's my experience. So I would steer you away from the heat stick. Uh, I use an old espresso maker because it's it's easy. How would you use a pressure cooker? What does he mean by that? Well, a pressure cooker will make steam. Oh, and then you just rig up a tube to it? Yeah, but that seems like a lot of trouble to go through. A, an espresso maker is a lot more self-contained. Right. And so you just you use some surgical tubing on the little steam nozzle there and I just I bought mine at a at a thrift store for $5. Yeah. It's worked for me for 10 years. Cool. Yeah. What was his other question? Reading materials for young luthiers and repair people. There's some great resources on the internet these days. Um, Frets.com. Never heard of that? Yeah, that's Frank Ford's website. I think that's his name. And, uh, you know, you can get a, you can get an education in, in things just by looking at, uh, luthier supply websites like Stuart McDonald and Luthier's Mercantile. Also, sign up to get their catalogs. And then those places sell books that are they're great. Uh, Dan Erlewine wrote a great book I've recommended many times. And it's I think it's called uh, The Guitar Player's Guide to Guitar Repair by Dan Erlewine. And that's a great one. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Hi, Eric and Melissa. First time, long time. I just finished building a bass six based on the Domino Californian Rebel. When I play notes on the low E at any fret below five, I get a strange, buzzy, resonant overtone. It is fairly independent of how hard I pick, and it doesn't sound like fret buzz. I suspect the grooves in my tom saddles. That means too nomadic. Oh, uh, I know you would have to see it to really figure it out, but how would you go about troubleshooting? Thanks, Justin Jones. Thanks, Justin. He uh, actually just followed up just this evening on Instagram and said he figured it out. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see that. I was going to recommend, you know, it's always my first thing that I go to. It's like, are you sure you don't have a bad string? Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with a big fat bass string. And sure enough, it was a bad strings because the tuner, his tuner, the hole is too small. And uh, I think he was un- unwinding the wrappings to get it to go in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made the hole. It's a weird thing happens with strings. If they start to get loose, the whole, just the whole coil wrapped around the core gets loose. And you end up, you know, the string looks and feels normal. Makes weird noises and overtones and rattles, and it won't behave and it won't intonate properly, and you'll just scratch your head for a long time if you if you're sit, sitting there turning screws and adjusting the truss rod and adjusting the action and trying to figure it out because nothing you do is going to make that string behave. You got a bad string, and that was his problem. He had a bad string there, so uh, he says he's going to need to find a, a string that'll work with that. But I have another solution. I've done this many times. Take that tuner off and enlarge the hole. I was going to ask if that's a possibility. You yeah. just take a drill bit and just drill through yeah, it? Yeah, what I like to do is find a drill bit that fits through the hole uh-huh. and then go one size bigger. Uh-huh. And put a little bit of oil, put a drop of oil there. If you really want to get awesome, 
you can do this with your uh, drill press. Mm. But uh, yeah, it can be done because those the metal that they make those out of isn't you know it's not stainless steel or anything. It's right. You can drill it out. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Well, I'm glad you figured that out, Justin. Hey, Eric and Mal, I hope things are good in potato country. Mm -hmm. Eric, I was just wondering if you pin or dowel your fretboards to keep them from moving during the gluing and clamping process. I've been seeing this a lot in repairs, in repair and building videos and wondered if it's something you advocate. Are there any drawbacks to this method? Thanks, Zach in Ohio. Thank you, Zach. Absolutely, I do. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an advocate of that, certainly. I can't think of any drawbacks. Uh, you know, so like if you if you remove a fingerboard, yep, and then you're going to put that same fingerboard back on mm -hmm. before you take it off, you want to remove a fret way up high on the neck and remove a fret down closer to the nut, and you can drill two holes <clears throat> off center because there's probably a truss rod in the middle of the neck, right? right? So you can drill some holes in that slot uh, into the neck. So when you take the fingerboard off, now you have holes that can align the fingerboard when you go to put it back on. If you don't do that, it can be hard to put back on because when you glue it, the glue makes it want to slip and slide. Right. So, yeah, uh, drilling some holes and pinning that on. I use little tiny tack nails, little, oh, okay. I don't know what they're called. I have a drawer full of them. Yeah. Little tiny nails. And then when you re when you put the frets back in, that just covers that hole up. Do you actually yes. fill the hole before you? No, it doesn't need to be filled. It's just a little hole through the, yeah, when you put the fret back on, you'd never know that there was a hole in the bottom of that slot. I mean, it's never going to be, yeah, there's no, I can't think of any drawback to it. That that's is just, cool. Yeah, that's just the way it's done. Thank you so much to everyone. We really appreciate your listenership and your participation in the podcast. Normally I say, uh, if you have a minute, give us a good rating on iTunes or whatnot, but a bunch of you have done that, and I do appreciate that. What I'd like to say this episode is, if I've done work for you, or if I've made a guitar for you, or done if I've done any any kind of business with you, and you enjoyed your uh, interaction with me, and I did good work for you. Why don't you go over to my Google biz business listing and give me a give me a review there? Wow, I don't. I only have a couple reviews, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's no big deal. It, just if you have time. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, before we go, we are taking January first off. Oh yeah. Just heads up, everybody. It's, it's a holiday. Yeah. We'll be back on the 15th. January 15th. We'll see you then. There's a lot more questions. If we didn't get to yours, I'm so sorry. I did. I just did them on first come, first serve. We'll do the rest of the questions in one month. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to my lovely co-host, Melissa. You're welcome. And uh, keep those questions coming. You can do so by going to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do that is to call or text 757-774-8482. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night.